cannot do it. You, you just, you can't use the law to try to trap Jesus Christ. You, you can't do that. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible. This is a book you may not be used to, you may not understand it, but I encourage you to get a hold of it and get into it as we study Matthew 22 in just five minutes. Also, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at ancient synagogues today. Ryan? Today, Jesus is challenged by the Sadducees about the biblical doctrine of resurrection, but Jesus totally dismantles their arguments. We'll talk about it later on in the pro program. Yeah, dismantling the arguments is the understatement. That is excellent. Uh, next, Jen. Read your Bible, pray every day. That's right. Okay, so get your Bible guide out, turn it into the page, and then it'll take you to the Bible. And let's read the most important book of all and hear what God says. Matthew 22, 23 through 40. The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 40. Matthew chapter 22 and 23. This is a fascinating read. Two chapters here that are really, really good. Now, religious people take their religious ideas, they wrap them up in their religious thinking, and often try to back God into a corner. Religious people. 
There was no difference with the people in Judah at the time of Jesus Christ. They were desperate to prove that Jesus was not the Messiah. You see, they expected the arrival of Messiah, but their expectations were couched in their desire for religious and political salvation, not the salvation of man from the sin. The Sadducees hated Jesus. They did. They were a religious faction known as much for their wealth and corruption as their religious devotion. These men who thought they were experts in the ways of God showed their ignorance when they confronted Jesus Christ about the resurrection of the dead. You see, they used the law given to man on earth, living in a sinful world, and they tried to apply it to the afterlife where everything was changed. And Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus Christ, confronted them in their ignorance, and they were shut down. Matthew chapter 22 has the details. It's exactly what we're going to read about today. This is fascinating. I want to tell you, get your Bible guide and turn to the page. Uh, This is really something. If you don't have the Bible guide, then why not call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and get a hold of yours. This is 22, the parable of the great feast, the taxes for Caesar. I love this one because uh, Jesus says, give to Caesar that which is Caesar's and give to God that which belongs to God. Excellent. Then a discussion about the resurrection. And then, of course, the most important commandment, whose son is the Messiah? They answer that question. Uh, Jesus criticizes the religious leaders. That didn't go over too well for them. And then Jesus grieves over Jerusalem. He grieves over Jerusalem. What in the world's going on here? This is something interesting. So let's pray. Father, I pray today as we look at the religions of man on what some people call a religious show. But Lord, this program is not about religion. It's about the Bible. It's about you. Bible Discovery TV is exactly that. It's it's about the Bible. Help us to see the difference and help us to understand what you have done and how you, Lord, you, Lord Jesus, are teaching us in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, as we look at this, it becomes important to read it carefully. So we do so. Matthew 22 to 23 says, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to God, Jesus Christ, and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. That's what the law says. Well, now there were 12 with seven brothers. There was seven brothers. And the first died and he had married. The first died after he married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and then the third, and even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Now, here's the question, Jesus. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. And Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. 
fascinating. We cannot use the law of God designed for man on a sinful earth to explain the mandates, to explain the mandates of heaven, which is holy. See, our life as Christians are destined to be fulfilled in heaven, not on earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? The law of God is eternal. It will always be here. But it's designed to present the results of sin. That's exactly what it is. And when we get into the holiness of God's presence, things are different. And we need to understand that, that there is a shift. There is a change. So we need to think about that as we read the Bible, understanding that very soon we will leave the sinful nature and achieve our holiness because of Jesus Christ has been Lord of our life. We will achieve our holiness and the Lord will make us holy. That is absolutely amazing. All right. Well, let's go on because this gets really good now. 22 verse 31. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. I am the God. And God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Which brings me to this thought. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. We can study what the Bible says, but we cannot truly imagine all that heaven holds for us. You can't, you know, I just, I'm just going to say this. There's people who've had experiences and they die and they go to heaven and they come back and tell us about it. Then they die and they go to heaven. They come back three or four times. People have done this. Look, it is appointed Hebrews 9.27 once for a man to die and then go to heaven. That's what the scripture tells me. So it's really hard for me to accept, you know, die and go to heaven, die and go to heaven, die, telling us messages. God has already spoken through his word. These are his messages to us. This is his word. The Bible is what we need to pay attention to. So let's keep that in mind. Keep that in our heart. Now let's go to the last part because this is interesting. 2234. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees are always there, think they're greater. They gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ouch, Pharisee, ouch. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus said, which leads me to this point. Jesus Christ brought relief from sin to the planet, calling people to love God. People to love God and their fellow man. That's not religion. Loving God and your fellow man, that's, that's different. The Pharisees and the Sadducees created their own religion, beloved. That's the difference. The difference is when you can love people because God has loved you then your love is not coming from yourself. It's coming from God because you're gaining it from the Lord. You become a person 
who follows Jesus Christ. Let's hear that today and make it a part of our life. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Today, we read Matthew chapters 22 and 23, and my segment focuses specifically on Matthew 22, verses 23 to 33. And you know, this is one of my very favorite passages because Jesus does something absolutely brilliant here, but it's easy to miss if you don't know what the beliefs of the Sadducees were. See, the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of Moses, which are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They didn't accept the rest of the Old Testament. As a result, they didn't believe in a resurrection. After all, there are no examples of resurrection in these five books of the Bible, right? Well, not so fast. Jesus actually uses a passage from Exodus chapter 3, which is a book they accepted as scripture to defend the doctrine of resurrection. Let's take a look. At the turn of history, when Jesus Christ walked this earth, there were four different Jewish factions. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Of these, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the ones who regularly opposed the teachings of Jesus. As a matter of fact, just after the Lord cleansed the temple for a second time, the Sadducees challenged him on the biblical doctrine of resurrection. Unlike the Pharisees who believed in the authority of the whole Tanakh, the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of Moses as scripture. And since there were no apparent examples of life after death in the Pentateuch, they rejected the idea of bodily resurrection. This is why they decided to publicly challenge Jesus to a theological debate on this issue. And they begin by pointing to Moses' command in Deuteronomy 25.5 regarding leveret marriage, which says that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. The Sadducees then proceed to tell Jesus about seven brothers. The first died after he had married, they explained, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of these seven will she be? For they all had her. To be sure, the Sadducees had concocted this story only as a means to mock the idea of life after the grave. But Jesus wasn't the least bit befuddled. You are mistaken, he said, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. The Lord here, in the same breath, was correcting not just one, but two of their errors. First, regarding the resurrection of the dead, but second, regarding the existence of angels. According to Acts 23.8, Sadducees did not believe in angels or spirits. And so by comparing the resurrection bodies of humans with angels, Jesus was effectively plucking two weeds with one pole. But then he returns to the main concern of the debate. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, he continues, have you not read what was spoken to you by God through Moses, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. As Jesus full well knew, the Sadducees would not accept his words or any words outside of the five books of Moses as authoritative, which is precisely why he ends off by quoting Exodus 3.6, which indisputably confirms that there is indeed a resurrection for God's own. And if there was any question of whom the victor of this debate was, the reaction of the people says it all. The Sadducees were silenced, and the crowd was astonished. You know, I've read a lot of great commentaries on the Bible, but the truth is nothing can compare with the commentary our Lord Jesus gives. As a matter of fact, when any of the Holy Spirit-inspired authors of the Bible interpret other biblical passages, we need to accept those interpretations as fact. And one of the very first rules of Bible study is interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Yes, like I said, there are a lot of good Bible commentaries available, but none of them are totally without error. Only scripture can hold to that perfect standard. It's very important to keep that in mind. Yeah, it is, and you can use two or three verses in scripture, two or three passages uh, to you know, compare it with passages on the group of two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. And that's how we get that, uh, that study technique in our mind. Very good, excellent. Corey? All right, well today I wanna to talk about synagogues, but ancient synagogues specifically from the first century and before, because the role of the synagogue has changed uh, throughout the history of Judaism and throughout the history of Israel for very necessary reasons. But as we're reading through the gospels, we see synagogues come up quite a bit if you're paying attention to it. You know, it's easy to look over it because it's one of those little details, but if you're looking out for it, they're mentioned quite a bit because Jesus Jesus and his disciples travel around teaching in synagogues. Jesus also berates the, the, the Pharisees in today's reading in chapter 23 for always wanting the, the good seat, the best seats in the synagogues. They want that honor for themselves. And even as he talks about them sitting in the seat of Moses, which was an installation in some synagogues at that time, there's just a lot of mentions here in the Gospels. So without further ado, let's take a look at ancient synagogues. All around the world, synagogues are an integral part of Judaism. From the Greek meaning place of assembly, the synagogue today is referred to as a house of prayer, house of assembly, house of study, and in some cases even temple. While this institution's recent 2,000 years of history can be tracked relatively easily, its origins are still a bit of a mystery. There are no mentions of synagogues in the Old Testament of the Bible, so it's commonly believed that synagogues must have developed after the destruction of Solomon's temple in 586 BC. The reasoning goes that once robbed of the central element of the Jewish faith, the priests of Judah began teaching, reading, and studying Torah. Buildings, perhaps homes, were refurbished to facilitate this. And soon, the synagogue, the assembly of faithful Jews observant to the covenant, became a cornerstone in Jewish society. One of the obvious benefits being that any community, despite their geographical location or distance from Jerusalem, could have their own synagogue. The earliest mention of synagogues may come from a 3rd century BC Egyptian inscription. Beyond this, by the first century AD, synagogues were a part of normal Jewish life, receiving mentions by Philo of Alexandria, Flavius Josephus, the New Testament, and rabbinic literature. Amazingly, just south of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Theodotus inscription was found. It once adorned a synagogue that lived practically in the shadow of the temple, demonstrating that the two establishments were not competitive. 
the inscription tells us that synagogues had been around for some time. They were used for studying the scriptures as a hostel, and they kept water for Jewish purification rituals. Early synagogues seem not to have been associated with prayer, likely because of the temple's scriptural role as a house of prayer. The temple's destruction by Rome in AD 70 changed the function and focus of synagogues. Without a place for sacrifice, festivals, and prayer, the people turned to their synagogues and emphasized what they could do to follow God, the sacrifices of studying scripture and praying three times a day to correspond to the times sacrifices used to be made at the temple. The temple had been destroyed before, and Judaism had been able to maintain a strong religious culture. Interestingly, the Torah Ark, the shelved box in which a synagogue's scriptures were kept, were also directly influenced by the destruction of the temple. As synagogues changed to preserve the memory of the temple, the Torah Ark was treated to represent the Holy of Holies, called an Ark to reference the Ark of the Covenant, decorated with temple motifs and sometimes flanked with curtains, as was the temple's Holy of Holies. The orientation of the seating benches also shifted from a central focus to a Torah shrine focus, which was normally located on the Jerusalem-facing wall. So there we go, synagogues, uh, their function, how it's changed throughout time. I hope this helps you kind of get in your mind uh, what the places where Jesus would have been teaching, at least for part of his ministry. I think it's important to remember the synagogue or the gathering place, yep. the meeting place is, uh, has changed a lot mm -hmm. over the years. And that's something to keep in mind. The modern church doesn't necessarily pattern itself after the synagogue. And that's fascinating. But anyway, that's another story. Tell us about Saul. Right. Yes. Okay. So you're talking about uh, this product that we did. It's called Understanding Saul. It's a six-part Bible study that I did. I uh, tailored it for small groups. So there's a half an hour teaching. Uh, and then the idea is that you'll spend half an hour going over the discussion questions and talking about the scripture uh, with your, your either Bible study partner or Bible study group. Uh, and before each lesson, Lesson, as you're coming up to the Bible study, there's assigned reading so that you're prepared uh, for, because we're going all the way through 1 Samuel and there's some bonus judges content in there. So if you'd like to know more about King Saul and his role in biblical history and in God's plan for biblical is uh, Israel, then I would encourage you to check this out. You can either call to us, write us, uh, or go on our website. It's available both as uh, physical DVDs or as a digital download as well. Uh, and we're just asking a suggested donation of $60 to keep the ministry strong. Excellent. Very good. Mm -hmm. Very good Bible studies. And I would encourage everybody to get a hold of that. Jan? Yes. All right. Well, uh, read your Bible, pray every day. Did that spark something in your Sunday school memory? Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. I remember as a little girl singing that and thinking that I would grow taller and then my Sunday school teacher explained to me, no, that I would grow in my relationship with God, that I would learn more as I read my Bible and as I prayed every day, that I would grow in the Lord. And isn't that an amazing fact, an amazing truth that the God of the universe calls to you and to me to have a personal relationship 
with him. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. We don't have to make an appointment. We don't have to pick up the phone and call him and hear dial tone or, or send a text. He is always available. He's always ready when we call on his name. And that to me is, is amazing. And I look at his word and I, I try to very carefully as I'm reading through the scriptures and especially now in the New Testament, watching and listening to the things that Jesus says and the way that he handled people so very differently, sometimes uh, very shockingly um, uh, and, and other ways just very tenderly. So uh, I want to look at this key verse in Matthew 22, verse 33. We've, we've heard the Sadducees uh, confront Jesus about the resurrection and and we, we see the Pharisees um, say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And they're trying to confront him. They're trying to question him and that's okay because earlier we hear about Jesus saying, ask, seek, knock, always be in action with your relationship with the Lord. Don't let it just get stagnant or wander away. Challenge your thinking with God's. Come to him with an open heart and an open mind. And when you do that, he will help you to learn. He promises to do that. But listen to verse 33. It says, And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. The people that were around and listened to the way Jesus answered people and the lessons that he taught, they were astonished. And I guarantee you, that if you come to his word with an openness in your heart, when you begin to read and hear and begin to understand what God is saying through his son, Jesus Christ, you too will be astonished. And what a wonderful way to celebrate this book that so many people just close and put up on their shelf or say it's old and irrelevant. It is so relevant and so relevant in today's world. In the shifting and changing times, you look around and a lot of people are afraid with what they see, but we know that our foundation is built on the Lord Jesus Christ and on his word. And that's a solid foundation that never shifts or never changes. So do that. Put your trust in God. Be astonished at the things that he taught. And that's what we can have in our life as well when we come Come to him, ask him to be the savior of our lives and give our lives over to follow him, not have him follow our ways, but turn our hearts to follow him. The end of the program is fascinating. We just watched people who've written in prayer requests and we're gonna pray for them. Let's do that every day, but let's pray together, you and I, as we share our thoughts with God. And Lord, I need to be holy as you are holy. So Father, help me to pay attention to what you have said and help me to apply it to my life so that I can change the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.